Hey everyone, this is Cameron Hager, and I am joined by Tom McGregor. Hey, how's it going, guys? And this is once again another edition, episode, installment, choose your word of the Door of Hope Leadership Podcast, which exists just to hopefully get helpful conversations in the hands of our leaders and anyone else who's interested uh, to figure out how we can better be the church to one another, uh, more effectively lead and serve and yeah, do all that the Lord's called us to. Um, this is a follow-up conversation to one that we did several months back. The first one was called, What is Discipleship? Just looking to define it, define the term biblically, kind of give a framework for what it is, how it functions in the life of the church. Uh, and I was really hoping we could title this one, How is Discipleship? But but that's kind of stupid, although Tom just no, gave no, me no. a thumbs up. I was just thinking that in my brain. I was like, that would be hilarious. How? But it's not very funny shit. if we talk about it ad nauseum. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, the point of this conversation is to move from just the theoretical and theological, which are both, both extremely important to talk about, uh, but to turn the corner into the practical So what are some actual things that we can or should or might do uh, with people that we've identified uh, as as people we want to really invest in and want to take an interest in in seeing them grow and growing together with them uh, as we try to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to see people baptized, to come to faith, and then to learn to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, Uh, which is no small task, but it's, it's the task of the church. So... We want to figure out how to do it more effectively. And remember, part of what we said last time was that discipleship really is the whole church's activity. Um, Everything, hopefully, that the church at at large is doing is helping form people uh, towards Jesus. But we we have this more narrow and specific way um, or, or, or specific piece of the discipleship puzzle that just individual Christians or very small groups of Christians can play together that is extremely important. And so when, we, when we're having this conversation, we're, we're, we tend to be thinking of it in those terms. Like, what do you as an individual do with someone, an individual or another one or two or three people, um, to help them, help them grow and, to, and for you to grow alongside them? So with all that said, let's get, let me just turn to you, Tom. Like, let's, let's hypothetically say you've got a person that has uh, that wants to grow in the Lord that you, that you've decided uh, you want to kind of invest in and they're open to that and you sit down with them um, day one where do you start like what what do you want to know about them what what what's the first piece of the puzzle to get sorted out in this whole process so so when I sit down with somebody I'm thinking in terms of a triangle that I see in Second Timothy uh, where Paul's relationship with Timothy uh, has three components. There's truth to believe, there's character to live out, and there's a relationship that forms the context for, for those things. And so when I am sitting down with somebody for the first time, I'm listening for the truth that they believe uh, I'm listening for the kinds of relationships, the quality of relationships, and the actual people in those relationships to see who this person identifies with, how they identify, 
Um, and then also, as relationship goes on, I'm going to look at <clears throat> the pattern of their life to see does does the pattern of their life actually line up with what they say they believe. Um, you know, this is often not the case, and you can learn a lot by uh, what parts uh, diverge from mm. a person's belief. But um, pr- probably the first thing any of us do when we sit down with somebody is, is we say, tell me your story. And that's a, a great place to start. It's just a practical tool for getting to know somebody uh, for the relationship side of things. Um, but also, I, I think it's important to listen for some specific things because a person who tells you their story will tell you not only their personal story, but they'll also tell you what kind of world they're living in, what they believe the big story is, uh, who they think they are, and what character they play. Are they the hero? Are they the scapegoat? Uh, is, is their story a tragedy? Um, is God... Uh, a bit part uh, who's kind of watching over the whole thing or is he the hero is he the main actor mm. uh, so I think that's really really practical um, and, and when I think about the truth the relationship and the character um, triangle as I'm listening I'm, I'm thinking about what does this person believe but also what do they need to believe what's missing I look for character. Uh, what do they need to see modeled? Um, how can their character catch up to their vocabulary? As is often the case in the church, our, our vocabulary exceeds our maturity. And uh, and what kind of relationship context do they need to learn these things in? Who who can I be to this person? What kind of intensity in relationship uh, do they need to experience from me? So one thing that, that you had helped introduce to our team was, uh, I think maybe it came from real-life discipleship, but uh, basically this sort of life cycle of spiritual growth. Um, be, I, I think we may have mentioned it just in passing last time, but essentially it starts with someone who's dead or not alive, becomes a spiritual infant uh, at the moment of conversion, uh, and then grows up through eventually adulthood and parenthood where they're actually reproducing uh, themselves. Um, and I think that's a really helpful tool, and, and we'll, we'll link to it, but there's a kind of a breakdown of things to look for uh, for people in each stage. But just, just give me, a, give me the, a brief run-through of what, what might be characteristic, a couple of the characteristics of someone in sort of each of the major stages just to kind of set the table to evaluate, like, you know, where's this person at and what do they need? Yeah, totally. Um, so this is a, a super helpful tool that does come from real-life discipleship. Uh, Greg McAvoy uh, introduced me to that book. And uh, having having this, um, this life cycle as our metaphor is really helpful because it becomes intuitive. Uh, when, when you think about a dead person... Um, you know, there's not much they can do for themselves uh, as far as, as spiritually. Um, so if there's going to be some obvious markers, like they don't like the church or they don't like Jesus or they don't believe in a God, period. Uh, they have uh, a little bit of ignorance or confusion about what the Bible actually is and isn't. And so uh, they, they might actually know quite a bit about the Bible, um, but the way that they handle the word of truth will not be congruent with the relationship with Jesus. Uh, as that person is an, 
in um, uh, brought to, to life by the Spirit uh, and comes to put their faith in Jesus, uh, they're they're going to be brand new. And just like an infant, there's going to be a lot of confusion, uh, dependent. Like you leave an infant by itself on a sidewalk, it's not going to last long. Um, with a spiritual infant, um, they need a spiritual family and, and a really close relationship with a spiritual parent uh, to protect them, to feed them, to guide them, and to model uh, the habits of following Jesus. Is that infant grows up into childhood, um, you think about your kind of toddler to teenager, um, you know, depending on the toddler, depending on the teenager, but, uh, <laughs> you know, fairly self-centered, self-absorbed, idealistic, black and white thinking. Um, they might have an extremely high positive view of themselves, or they might have an extremely low view, uh, and they might have the same, both of those views in the same day based on what other people think about them. Um, they're easily uh, influenced by, by the people around them, especially the people they respect uh, and want to emulate. And uh, so, so those are some of the characteristics. You get into young adulthood um, and think about the 20, 30-somethings that you know and, um, you know, tons of energy, zealous. Uh, they've got a little bit of a, an idea of what this Jesus thing is all about, and they're going into it full force. Um, but they don't have a complete understanding. They're often independent um, but but they're growing in maturity, and, it, and it's obvious. Um, and the reason we we end with parent and not with you know, full blown adult is that uh, adults just are you know, physically mature, but a parent reproduces. And regardless of your marital status, of your fertility ability. Uh, God has called all of us to reproduce, and he populates his kingdom through regeneration and conversion and discipleship. And so you are called to be parents to the people around you and your sphere of influence, and you can do that. Uh, I think one of the the best illustrations of this is in uh, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis's book on, um, well, it depends on your perspective. Maybe it's about sanctification, maybe it's about heaven, maybe it's about both, but, um, you know, the very tall woman surrounded by children in this heaven place, uh, you know, she, she wasn't married, didn't have kids in her lifetime, but she parented so many people and enjoyed those relationships. Um, I think that's a beautiful picture of, of what we have to look forward to. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, okay. So that's a helpful f- grid to think through anytime we sit down with someone and we go, I want to invest in this person, but I, I first have to figure out what's their story and where where are they currently sitting with respect to Jesus? What's what's the maturity level that they have? Um what kinds of things, let's just get really practical here, and, and we should probably acknowledge that it's it's rare to find really good one-size-fits-all for each person, you know. Um, 
part of this kind of assessing time early on in the relationship is to figure out, like, yeah, I, like Tom's already said, where are they strong, where are they weak, where they have no idea about some important things about Christianity, where they have misinformed ideas, where are they actually pretty strong. So you could have spiritual infants, one spiritual infant that really has a decent understanding of what the Bible is and maybe even how to study it, but, you know, have absolutely no convictions or practices around prayer, um, and vice versa. And so we just acknowledge, like, this is all going to be, you know, your sense of priority and urgency about what you might want to work through with someone will be determined by the individual or the group. Um, But that said, that disclaimed, um, I don't know, what what comes to mind for you when you think through just generally um, sitting down with someone who's a spiritual infant? What kinds of things might you might you want to do with them? Uh, I always want to make sure they actually understand and believe the gospel. And so in some way we'll talk about that. Uh, usually it's informal, but if there's a major lapse, uh, then we'll do a follow-up meeting. I'll have them go read Acts 2 and write out what they think Peter thinks the gospel is mm. and come back and teach me the next week. Teach me what the gospel is. That's and so then, good, man. And then we'll talk through it. Um, I think uh, with uh, the, there are a couple components to the gospel in Acts 2 that are implied but not explicit. Um, and so you have to have to be watching for those. But as far as one self-contained place in the Bible where the entire gospel of what God has done, um, what our proper response should be um, or needs to be, and what we get, uh, that that's just a gold chapter. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first thing I do. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, I want to not only know that they actually believe Jesus, but they know who they are, and so we'll, you know, I'll fold them into my Bible study, uh, which provides an excellent context for people of all levels of maturity to ask questions, uh, to talk about their lives, and to rub up against each other. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Do you have any, I don't, I don't know why I just thought of this right now, I don't know if it's the right time, but I thought of it, so I'm throwing it in there. Do you have any stories of just, uh, just totally misreading a need and, and trying to do something in one of these contexts that just turned out to not be at all what, what was really needed or, or you know, effective in that moment. Mm. Yeah, um, I will use instances outside of Door of Hope so that I'm not betraying confidence. So <laughs> these are things that happened in the past and you don't know the people uh, if you're listening. Um Man, the first one was uh, a guy, and I was I was young. I was probably more in the child, young adult phase than anything, but I'd been entrusted with a lot. And a young man came to me and said that he wanted to be discipled, uh, which now that would have raised a lot of questions. At that point, I was like, oh, I know what you mean, and no problem. Um, and so I... I asked him a bunch of questions, but didn't really listen. Clearly, I'm not the hero in this story. Uh, I asked him a bunch of questions, didn't really listen, and matched him up with another guy. And um, and 
what they did was read through the Bible at a, a high level. Um, the other guy was a seminary graduate, and uh, I think he went on to get his Ph.D., mm. uh, and, and so, one, I didn't know who this person was, where they were at, what they needed. Two, I just assumed, get them around the smartest person you know and read the Bible, and things will turn out well. Um, what was really going on in this guy's life is that um, – couple months previous he had attempted to take his own life mm. uh, what he needed was a friend um, and what he needed was to understand that God loved him and didn't condemn him for his actions uh, but instead wanted to heal him mm. and if I would have been listening uh, things would have gone a lot different mm. uh, thankfully there were more mature believers in his life who gave him what he needed. I just didn't get to be a part of it. Um, so, yeah, so those are some of the things that I look for when I'm, I'm working with somebody that I know is new to the faith or uh, has has been an infant for a really long time. Um, what, what about you? What are some of the, the things that you do when you're meeting with somebody for the first time you realize this is where they're at? Uh, what are the, the tools that they need from you? Absolutely. Well, you know, we had a, a prior conversation, and, and I haven't really developed this out much, uh, but I, I kind of had this metaphor of identifying either pieces of doctrine or practices or what, whatever it may be, some some Christian content uh, that functions like basically the front dominoes in a line of dominoes that will lead naturally to other things. Like, if you get this then you'll be able to get number three, four, and five behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of how I conceive of it. And so with, with someone, especially in the early, you know, when I'm not dealing with someone that's hyper-mature, I want to be really looking for a couple of things. Specifically, the, the two disciplines that for me just stick out like sore thumbs, that if you, if you don't understand these things and you're not practicing these things, you're just going to be stunted is first of all your interactions with the Bible. What is the Bible? Why is it trustworthy? How is it authoritative for me? And how how can I responsibly glean what God wanted me to glean from it? Um, to me, that's that's kind of bedrock stuff. That again, if you if you can teach someone that, they're going to learn to be a self feeder. Um, that doesn't mean they don't need to be in community. They don't need to be poured into by other people, of course. But it means that they're they're not going to be dependent on other people mm-hmm. for the whole of their spiritual growth. Right. And I think prayer is the second one that, that functions very similarly. If people don't value prayer, if they don't recognize their dependence on the Lord, uh, and, and if they're not um, seeking some sort of regular habit of turning to the Lord in prayer, of conversing with Him, of spilling their heart out to Him, um, then I, I, I think that's a major deficiency. And let me be clear. I, I speak as someone who does not have all of this figured out myself. I, especially prayer. I, I think I have plenty of room to grow in. Um, but man, if if someone isn't praying at all, if someone uh, doesn't understand why it's important, um, or views it as sort of a, I don't know, has a weird cosmic vending machine kind of view, where they think, okay, if I, you know, whatever I pray for, I'll automatically get. Or, you know, there there are all kinds of ways this can be off the rails. Um, 
But I think, yeah, those are two disciplines that come to mind for me that, man, if I, if I could get a new believer to think rightly and practice faithfully about them, that is just going to begin to pay instant dividends and, and pay those dividends for the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, what are the, uh, like, when you want to teach somebody about prayer and how to pray, what what is a resource that you use? Do you take them through something formally? Do you just practice it with them and have conversations? How do you do it? I've done it different ways. Um, I, I actually have a, a, a list of verses. This, this is not really that fancy, but I've actually incorporated this into the little training manual we use mm. actually for the prayer team at Door of Hope. But it's just a list of all the verses in the New Testament. Uh, I, I, I would happily include more from the Old Testament as well, but yeah, especially with the Psalms. I just have to put the book, book, of, I just have to put the book of Psalms in there, so I don't do that. <laughs> But, it, but it's basically any teaching or prominent example from either Jesus or Paul. Basically every teaching or example of prayer from Jesus or Paul in the New Testament. And awesome. just have them laid out. And I think when you read through those, you get you begin to get a sense of, of the scope and the nature of, of how Jesus and Paul, two fairly substantial figures for our faith, how they conceived of Paul, um, how the Bible broadly Sorry, how it conceives of prayer, <laughs> how the Bible broadly encourages us to do it. And you, and you get to wrestle through all those little tensions like, um, you know, Jesus explicitly teaching, here's how you pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And then at the same time, his real emphasis on how prayer needs to primarily be a, a, a private thing and the danger of allowing prayer to become this public outward show of spirituality or whatever. Um, But then you see Paul's just belabored prayers for his churches that he's writing to. And and so you begin to have to put together um, like a grid for how all this functions and it's really helpful. So that's one thing I I like to do with people. Um, I I also think that uh, just praying together, um, once you have a little bit of an understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it, just Maybe devoting some of the time together for a few weeks to just pray together. That's the agenda for the day. Don't do anything else. Just cultivate a comfortability with with another person or a couple other people being vulnerable with one another before the Lord. That That is a deeply instructive experience. Um, and then there are a couple books that uh, if, if someone... If I, if I feel like someone's a reader, they'd benefit from it, that, that I like. One is... Uh, just the general spiritual disciplines book, uh, what spiritual disciplines for the Christian life by Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney, the worst cover in all of Christian. It, it, it's had a couple editions, and I think every edition's had a bad cover. Sadly, it's a legacy. <laughs> it's a legacy, man. Yeah, but that book has it covers like the disciplines in general. I, I don't know how many, fifteen or something that he covers, uh, but he's got a couple of chapters on prayer that are very very helpful. Um, I also would really recommend Tim Keller's book. It's just titled Prayer, and I read that just maybe three years ago. Um, but, man, that, that was a, a beautifully helpful book to think through. Both of, he, he really saw a hole in Christian publishing. He said there's a lot of books about Christian about the practice of prayer, and there's a lot of books about the theology of prayer, but he didn't see many that were really robustly theologically informed practical books, kind of bridging the two. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I thought it was great. It was biblical. It reached into church history, the way Christians throughout time have, have prayed. 
and it, it left me pretty inspired. Um, to be honest, that's I have not yet taken someone else through that book, but it's kind of on my short list of when when the need arises. It's I've got that in the back pocket. Have you ever read uh, uh, How to uh, A Short Way to Pray by Martin Luther? I, I did. A letter to the barber. I did read it after you shared it with me. Actually, a few maybe two if, years ago. If somebody's not a reader uh, but is willing to get geeky, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take them through that uh, yeah. because I think it is theologically rich, uh, but it's extremely practical uh, or practicable. Maybe not practical uh, the way that we we schedule ourselves these days because he devotes a lot of time. Um, but that's been something that's super rich mm. for me personally, and I want to pass that off to, to other people as a way to think about and practice communication mm. with Jesus. That's really good. Okay, so coming back to this idea of maybe like key pieces of practice or doctrine that set people up then to go further themselves, mm-hmm. um, we've mentioned, or I've mentioned prayer and scripture. Um, Kind of using that framework, what are some other things that, that come to mind for you that are like, man, this is this is a something people need to know to unlock their ability to kind of go deeper, yeah. just just as an individual. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I start with the the infant thing of the gospel. Uh, if people believe in Jesus or following Him, um, that's going to open up an entire kingdom uh, to them. And, and that's one of the reasons why I start with Acts 2, is that I'm introducing, uh, in an ambient way, uh, the practice of reading the Bible and studying it and learning from it and then applying it. Um, so Bible and prayer are just the lifeblood of our relationship with the Lord, um, and, and those certainly kick down because you start reading that we've we're made for one another in the bible and then you're going to start to realize that you can't live for one another if you're alone mm. um as as people kind of mature they become uh ready to step into that uh to step into deeper relationships not just with you but with the church community uh, more broadly as well as uh, a, a larger group of families so like community groups are, are a great example um and that, that kind of connects, uh, for me, all three parts of that, that triangle I'm looking for is truth, character, and relationship. Is I want to see people growing in relationship in a context where they practice those things that they're reading about and believing. Um, so practicing communion uh, and community. Mm. Uh, also, as, as people grow, they need a place to serve. Uh, we were not just made to um, to be friends with one another, but but we are made to serve one another. And so, for some folks, that's going to mean serving their city uh, down at Portland Rescue Mission on Tuesday nights, uh, or having some sort of regular practice of service. I went to uh, the Inverness Jail yesterday. I met with the chaplain there. Uh, who is amazing? Lewis Kyle is a rad guy, um, and and that that's a place to serve other people in Jesus's name, uh, but also to be ministered to by the inmates there. They they know and well, not all of them, but um, just like anywhere, but they know and love Jesus, and they are hungry for uh, community, for fellowship, and so finding a place to to learn to serve, to live out. 
the the truth that people are learning through Bible reading, through prayer. Uh, I think it's really important. The other one uh, that really meets a lot of resistance, surprise, surprise, is fasting. Mm. Uh, I think I hit that early, uh, whereas mm. I think it's cool. most of us end up getting into the parent zone and giving it a shot. <laughs> uh, but I think fasting should be a regular part of the Christian life. I think That's been fascinating just to see as we've been in Acts as a church how often like it was one of the default disciplines of the yeah. church very clearly seen. Yeah, it's up near the top and I think if you are working with somebody and helping them grow in the Lord I, I would encourage you introduce this pretty close to Bible and prayer. There's something about releasing uh, the world around us to grab onto Jesus to spend time with him to be reminded of our mortality and our frailty and our dependence on him and to devote ourselves to prayer in in that state. It's so powerful. Um, and and it, for me, it's been a really meaningful discipline. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I concur a hundred percent with everything you just said. Um, I, 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 Agree. One one of the ones I was glad you mentioned was just community. I, I would certainly see that as getting people to to commit to living life with other believers in the context. And that looks a number. Of, that looks like just faithfulness to attend a wor- the worship gatherings. That looks like I think faithfulness to commit yourself to some sort of small group. Uh, at Door of Hope, we do community groups, and so I would encourage anyone to just be faithful, not just get on the roster, but faithfully attend, um, to pursue even beyond that, a a few people in a little bit of closer relationship. And maybe, maybe that's what we're doing. Maybe the person I have in mind, it's one, two, three of us, more than one, maybe there are two or three of us (laughs) that are, are, are do, are doing life together and set carving out regular times to, so maybe that's, maybe my context here is that itch getting scratched, but um, all that to say, just just finding these deeper and smaller levels of intimacy, uh, to me, opens up all, like, so many aspects, because that's where accountability comes in, because as you're known, uh, and, and hopefully even practicing things like confession with one another, um, you're, you're going to be inviting people, hopefully, to call you out on your stuff, and to illuminate things that you don't know about yourself, to, to highlight sin that you might not even be conscious of, um, that you might be able to repent from it and grow out of it, uh, of course, by the working and power of the Spirit. That's um, going to show you opportunities to serve as well. Um, we can be, both, we should be proactive in seeking out things outside of our immediate context, but there's also this organic thing that when you're in a community group, people are going to share their struggles and you are the first line of defense uh, to, to help meet whatever whatever need there might be. Um, and, and also just, I, I've been thinking more and more, especially we just did a little thing with some of our leaders about the, the one another passages of, of the New Testament. There's just about 60, you know, do this with one another. Don't do this with one another. Do this for one another uh, passages basically highlighting what, what the church is to be. And uh, so many of them have to do with, like, 
bearing one bearing the burdens of one another and tolerating one another. And the biblical authors knew that when you get a bunch of people in in a close knit group, personalities clash and people frustrate one another and and tensions arise. And that is a significant tool that the God that that the God that God uses to sharpen His people and to lead them into maturity. And there's just something about having to having to get through your frustration and the annoyances and even the sinning against one another and having to forgive and all of that. It's it's a really formative thing. Uh, and honestly, the much easier thing is to say, ah, community groups are shallow or, ah, the people there aren't sincere, genuine, but that's the church. Like, we're all <laughs> shallow and we all have things we need to grow in. <laughs> And yeah, you can, we can go start a cool person's club with only the people that we really like. Um, but I think that's falling far short of what the New Testament would model for us. It's a trap. It's they'll, a trap. They'll kick you out. <laughs> they will kick you out once they discover it, your true nature. So yeah. uh, so I'm curious for you, as you think about your, your history, uh, so what others have done f- for you mm. uh, and with you, but also present present context you're looking at people i mean we get this opportunity and privilege every day and and for you as leaders uh, in your community groups i trust that this is happening you see people reaching spiritual maturity blossoming into this beautiful young adult uh, you know <laughs> starting to reproduce <laughs> i know this is getting a little uncomfortable it's getting a little risque uh, beginning to reproduce and invite others into the family. So for you, Cameron, as you think about how others shepherded you through that moment in, in your spiritual journey, uh, as well as how, how you see your role now at Door of Hope, um, working with a lot of people that are in that same stage, what are some of the, the things that are super practical that we can all be doing? Yeah, well, um, this is maybe obvious and, and implied or made explicit um, by the whole scope of our conversation so far. But, I, you know, one thing I experienced, I started, basically got into community groups in high school, starting in ninth grade. And uh, all I knew, I was showing up for a group at a kid's house, and there were some adult leaders there, and we were going to talk about the Bible. That's really all I knew. Um, and within a year of that, um, one of the leaders, a, a guy by the name of John Flowers, and John might might listen to this one day. Hey, John, if you're out there. Great name. He's, he still lives in Arkansas. Um, he pulled me and a couple other guys aside and uh, mentored us effectively, and he was doing what we're describing. He, he got to know my story. He got to kn- ask me, you know, very directly about, like, what were the major sins that were besetting me that he might ask me about them and how, how I'm striving for holiness in those areas. Um, he pushed, he pushed me. I think he, he probably saw that my, my temperament and this, this is not, I hate saying this because sometimes it sounds like an arrogant statement. It's not meant to uh, using, um, Gary Thomas's sacred pathways. He basically points out there are different ways that people naturally connect with the Lord. Um, and that's good, uh, but we also need to be cognizant in pursuing the other ways as well. For me, it's it's what he calls the intellectualist. That is not me saying I'm smarter than anybody. It's merely me saying 
the things that stir my soul toward the Lord are the, the things of the mind. So thinking about him, reading about him. Um, that's why seminary can be a really fruitful and soul-filling thing for me, but <laughs> sometimes it crushes other people's <laughs> spirits and they feel like it was the driest, most boring thing they ever did. And that's okay. Um, so my point is this. I think John saw that temperament in me. And as a you know 16-year-old, he pulled me and a few guys together for a summer group where we read through Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine. <laughs> like, awesome. Which was awesome. And he, I think he saw, like, Cameron will be interested in this, and he will actually read it, as will Nick and as will uh, Brandon and these other kids. And we did it. And I, that was my first exposure to so many of just the deep riches of Christian theology and got my heart just stirred up for the Lord. Um, so anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. That's that's an example. That was him taking the time to get to know me, creating a space to do it, and then pretty surgically identifying some things that he he could see would 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 trigger kind of a passion and an excitement in me. Um, and honestly, I I haven't reinvented the wheel. Again, I know that this is more or less what we're talking about throughout this whole podcast, but that's kind of what I I try to do now and encourage others to do now. Um, uh, at the moment, I think we mentioned this last time, I've, I've got a, a small group of guys that, a couple from my community group, um, a couple that are community group leaders uh, that, that, that gather weekly early in the morning. And, you know, the agenda when that group started um, was taking a couple weeks to let every single person basically have the floor to share the hour and a half version of their life story. And that was it. That was, and then we prayed, and we let each guy kind of get the full scope of where each other guy w- was at, and then uh, from then we've just been um, trying to tailor the time to what seems like the greatest the greatest needs that are kind of, that kind of span the group. Um, I don't know. I don't want to keep taking too much time here. I will plug one specific resource that I found really helpful. Uh, and it's another book. Sorry, I'm a book guy. I know not everyone has to be. Um, but we read last year this book, and I hope someone does a summer book club on it. It's called Jesus Outside the Lines. Mm. And it's basically by a guy named Scott Sauls. Um, and he's just taking a lot of the, the kind of current dichotomies or binaries of our culture, Republican versus Democrat, um, Health and wealth gospel versus a gospel of of uh, poverty, um, and sort of like, and it goes on and on, um, and basically uh, finding the ways in which our world is trying to create two separate categories, but the gospel is is the, the clear third way that doesn't sit comfortably in any of the camps that the world has set up for us. And I just I just found that book to be extremely prophetic for our day. I, it was sanity making, I think, for all the guys that read it, that read it, that read it, that read it, to get together, um, and it, it definitely felt like some setting us all up well to just better engage our world. Come next election cycle, come whatever, whatever comes next. So, um, anyway, I'm going to stop there. I'm rambling. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be awesome to to add those resources to the uh, the library. Uh, yeah. I mentioned in the class that we did at the last leadership training that we're putting together uh, a Google folder that basically has all of the resources from around the church on discipleship. 
And so there, there's already some stuff in there. I'd encourage you guys to send me more and just include in your, your note um, uh, the, the spiritual kind of stage of life that you've found it to be helpful in. And that way we can all be pulling from the wisdom of the community. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I think when it comes to young adult parent kind of stage, um, I, I still am thinking in that truth relationship character paradigm, but things become a little bit more formal as I invite people to be a part of a team and we become strategic and think about what we can accomplish together rather than what we're all comp- uh, accomplishing individually. Um, and, and so one of the things that I think is really important is to know what people's spiritual giftings are. You mentioned mm, the Gary yeah. Thomas book, yeah. uh, knowing how people connect to God, because some people connect with the Lord through through the intellect, but other people, it's experiential. Some people need low church and loud music, and other people need smells and bells and long white robes. And, and those aren't illegitimate things. But to know where each of our strengths and proclivities lie so that we can work together for the same goal as a part of a team. Um, we can accomplish more together than we can uh, together individually. Uh, and so I, I like to take people through um, a, a theology of spiritual gifts. Typically, we'll just do a Bible study. That's cool. Uh, through like thinking about what are the spiritual gifts. Um, I, I personally don't think that Paul's lists are exhaustive. Um, and so we get a paradigm for understanding the spiritual gifts and knowing where people are best suited. Um, and, and even within that, some people are best suited for working with uh, people that don't love Jesus at all and don't follow him. They're evangelists. And so they, they need to be on the front end of the team. Um, and I need to be sending people their way who need a compelling vision for who the real Jesus is and why they should put their trust in him. Other people are great with children, but awful with adults um, in real life and in discipleship. Yeah. Um, and, and so knowing where our gifts are, where our strengths are, and how we can rely on each other, uh, even within your community group, this is a great practice. Start thinking about um, who you can connect people to based off of their, their gifting. Um, because when we function... In, in the way that God has made us, we grow. And so just thinking strategically is a great way of helping those around you to grow in, in their relationship with the Lord and with each other. Mm. That's really good, man. Well, we don't have a ton of time left. I feel like, again, I'm pleasantly surprised with how practical we've been able to keep this, but in the, in, in the spirit of that practicality, Contextless, even give me just a few other tools, um, books, books of the Bible, spiritual discipline, like whatever it might be, mm-hmm. uh, that that have emerged as kind of perennials for you with other people. Things that you've just not necessarily tied to this stage or that stage, but just this is this is a pr- proven, tried and true thing to do with someone in your in your book. Yeah, totally. Um, it's interesting. I think we end up growing up to resemble the parents who discipled us. Mm. Um, and so one of the first books I was ever given was the Donald Whitney book, 
the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. Um, but it was a, a double volume, so it also had 10 questions to diagnose your spiritual health. Mm-hmm. And I love that book, even though the cover is absolutely abysmal. <laughs> um, it, it's so practical, so helpful. Um, it's you, you can take a chapter and use it as a standalone, or you can go through the whole thing with a, a small group. But I read that book on the regular. Uh, I probably take a small group through it a couple times a year depending on who's in my particular sphere of influence. Um, so that book, for sure. Um, what is the Bible uh, by Sailhammer is also mm-hmm. a really good book. Mm-hmm. Love taking people through that book. Um, the Bible Project has become a really cool resource. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, um, I typically just take Catholics through uh, the Bible Project. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but when I find out somebody is a Catholic, we typically have uh, some really similar conversations. And um, so we'll, we'll go through uh, the theme videos, typically, mm-hmm. before we, we hit anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's become something that I've used more and more. Uh, Ephesians is a classic Bible study for me. I love taking people through Ephesians. I love taking people through the book of Romans. And um, in the last couple of years, uh, I've found that the, the book of Job has become mm. uh, indispensable when uh, I'm in relationship with somebody who is experiencing suffering in any way. Uh, because the, um, the story that we find there is profound and it's profoundly connected to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are some of the, the tools that I use. You'll notice that I might be geared more towards books than anything else. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your top five? Ooh, I'll start listing stuff. I don't know if it's my top five, but I'll give you things that come to mind. Biblically, I would say, for whatever reason, the Gospel of John is one I go back to a lot rather than one of the synoptics. I think it, it just has such a such a theological goal that you not only learn about Jesus's life, but it's, it's a little less, maybe a little less Jewish than the synoptics, um, in certain ways. And yeah, you just end up with this supremely like cosmic view of Jesus by the end of it. That's really beautiful. Um, honestly taking someone through, I've done this like once we worked through John and then later, like a year later we worked through Uh, I think it was Mark and that was kind of a cool experience then Mm. to help people like think through how the how the different gospel accounts like portray these different angles on Jesus while still being wholly true and authoritative of course but just kind of what 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 the authors were doing with the whole of the Jesus story to present him um, to present a different facet of his life and ministry Mm -hmm. Um, the pastoral epistles for me have actually been really Mm. valuable tools because uh, what they're giving you is is a vision for Christian, yeah, yes, pastor, elders, but really what elders are is they're just, like, the biblical requirement for elders just to be an exemplary Christian. Like, they are what, they are the, the qualities that we should all be aspiring to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to work through those things and to see the advice that Paul gives to Timothy and Titus just is a really formative thing I've found for any Christian to think through mm-hmm. um, and to think through themselves as disciple makers as well, et cetera, et cetera. A, a book that comes to mind is, uh, surprisingly, 
it's kind of, kind of might be a little bit random, but it's a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God mm. by, by J.I. Packer. Mm-hmm. And Packer, Packer is a Reformed theologian through and through, but he, he has this really beautiful unpacking of just how God's, God's plan and his decree, you know, d- does not, as some might say for Reformed theology, like eliminate the need to make disciples or to evangelize because God's just going to do his thing and it doesn't really matter what we do. But he he actually draws out how that reformed doctrine, man, it, it gives us a fresh confidence actually to preach the gospel in the hope that we might be a part of God's work that he is going to do to draw people to himself. Um, he, he, he It also kind of gives you some biblical categories for how to how to wrestle with the apparent tensions of the Bible when it says, again, for his theological grid, he, he sees verses that would say, God basically ordains everything that happens, and there's real human choice. Uh, and he, he just practically and pastorally gives you tools to think through, what do I do when I come across these, we wouldn't say contradictions, but certainly tensions in the Bible? How do we... How do we hold them in a way that's faithful, that doesn't compromise either of them? And it, it ends up being a little bit of a case study for a larger point about how to interact with the Bible and do theology. I've, I've gone back to that one a few times. One other thing that comes to mind, and this, this might sound kind of hokey, but I, I've just it's, I've gone back to it several times and it's, it's been really useful, is Tim Keller, again, reference him again, he did a video basically curriculum tagging onto his book The Reason for God. And and what's so great about it is the video portion is is it's not him lecturing at the camera reciting chapters of his books. It's him sitting down with six non-believers, real <laughs> real uncut non-believers uh, talking through some of the thorniest theological problems that people have with the Christian God of the Bible. <laughs> And I, I just found it immensely valuable tonally to see how he, the tone he, he maintains with people who disagree, um, the way he goes about establishing points of contact with them, um, the way he presents the truths of Christianity in ways that are disarming. Um, it, it's, it's a cool resource for people who want to wrestle through apologetics issues, but it's almost more instructive as a model for how do we engage people around us that don't believe like we do. And it's, it's really cool. So um, cool thing to do with, with people that, that you're, you're working with. All right. Well, we should wrap up. Um, we really hope this, is, this has been a helpful conversation. Again, we say this every time. We know it's not exhaustive. But we hope that you have a little bit more of a, a footing or a track to walk on. Um, as you think about discipling other people around you. Uh, we do want to remind you, we'll have a link in the document here, but uh, Tom's been compiling, it will continue to grow, a resource library uh, just as a Google Drive folder um, where we're going to put good, helpful stuff that we have found to be useful for walking through with other people. Um, if you guys have suggestions, let us know. We'd love to add more content if you want to use something from it, but it doesn't seem intuitive how you might use it, email us and we can let you know, like, hey, here's, here's how I use that or what I found useful. Um, so please uh, be aware of that. Um, contribute to it. We, we hope that that's something that, that will help us all grow in our ability to invest in other people at Door of Hope. 
Yeah, and I just want to encourage you, we're heading out of our community group season into the summer. Be intentional about those relationships that have begun. Uh, be invitational for new relationships. Utilize the contexts that we have at Door of Hope through book club, through church in the park, through Tuesday morning prayer, through men's gatherings, women's gatherings, uh, prayer nights, baptisms. These are all wonderful contexts to be invitational to people that you work with, that you live next to, that you're already in relationship with. You can go with your community group. You can go with your book club. Um, but, but be present. And finally, let's just be strategic. As a church, this is what we're doing together. Uh, in the city of Portland, in our neighborhoods, we are making disciples. And so we need to do it together. Um, and, and what we do over the summer is, in a large part, going to influence how the fall goes. Who's going to be a part of our community? Are they going to be people that you've invited and uh, grown with over the summer? Or, um, or is it going to be something else? I, I hope it's going to be the first. I hope that we can be strategic now in preparation for the fall community group season to kick off. I think it's going to be rad to see the leaders that you develop over the summer and you've been developing over the last year uh, step into a more intentional role as a, a spiritual parent in the Dwarf Hope community. Amen. All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Uh, have a good one. Salvation.